Week eight, beautiful and glorious worship. <clears throat> so just a quick review to make sure we're all caught up, caught up to speed. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. One of the biggest things that we have been discovering over this series is that that simple but awesome truth that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are how God lives in this earth, not just in a heavenly father above the clouds and in the skies and in heaven, but how he gets on this earth is he says, I have saved you of your sins, I have redeemed you so that you could be the temple of which I dwell. Because God says, I don't want to just dwell over my people, I want to dwell among my people. I want to be in your midst. I want to walk with you. I want to be with you through every situation, through every temptation. I want to dwell with my people, and I want to be with you every second, so I'm going to make you worthy to let me live inside of you. Can someone say amen to that? We are the temple. So if we are the temple, and there was so much detail of what the temple was to be built with in Exodus, what we've been discovering is there must be some meaning of that detail for our lives. And we talked about how, if you have that picture, throw it up there, Josh, there's different parts to the courtyard. You have, uh, you enter in through, if you remember, shout it out, you enter in through the, the gate. When you enter in through the gate, you come into the first place called the courtyard. The courtyard, if you see, is the exposed part. If you remember, we liken that into our body. The courtyard is exposed. Your body, your, you, you, you are exposed. You are exposed to, to, to how people treat you. You're exposed to the elements. You're exposed to temptation. You are exposed, and we gotta, there's a certain thing we got to take care of in the courtyard. And in the courtyard, there's two things. There's a brazen altar, and there's a bronze levere. And at the altar, you bring your sins, and you repent. And, and it's, it's, it's sacrificing the lamb. It's, it's accepting. Jesus as a covering for your sin and in the bronze laver we talked about how you wash in the water it's, it's likened unto washing by the word of God the way you're cleansed as you get scripture in you you don't read the Bible just so you can mark it off but it's actually the way you get clean it's actually the way you get pure you got to get the word in you can someone say amen to that after the courtyard the priest would take everything that you just repented of and confessed with and will go into the cover part of which there were two rooms. The two rooms is there's the holy place and then there's the most holy place. Some people know this as the holy of holies in some tra in translations. You come into the holy place and, and there was a few things in the holy place. You had a lampstand. You, you had an altar of incense. You also had a table of bread. And we talked about how the table of bread represents the bread of life. And, you, and you, Jesus says, you are not a part of me unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. It is a table of bread. It is communing with God. There's the lampstand. We talked about how there was so much about letting your light shine before men. We talked about the altar of incense, how the Bible says to let your prayers rise like incense before you. Matter of fact, the altar of incense, the flames from the candle, that's the only source of light in this place. And after that, you go through this veil, and then you come into the most holy place. And in the most holy place, you have um, the Ark of the Covenant, and then there was a lid on top of the Ark of the Covenant. If you remember what the lid was called, I'll buy you dinner tonight. Y'all remember what the lid was called? Dang, someone just got dinner. The mercy seat. Someone buy her dinner. All right. 
<laughs> just kidding. The mercy seat. And on top of the mercy seat, there was two angels looking down. And we talked about how the, the, the high priest would come in and sprinkle blood over the mercy seat. And inside of the Ark of Covenant, y'all, do y'all know what was inside of the Ark of the Covenant? It was the presence of God. It shined so bright that they had to cover, that, that there was so much smoke because the high priest would come in with, with, with an incense burner. And there was so much smoke because if they looked at the glow, they would burn up and die. That's how intense the presence was. And we've been talking now and building ourselves as his tabernacle. Jesus says, I am the high priest that gets into this most holy place now. I have, I have become the gate and I'm going to make you the temple because I have, I have broken through the religion. I've broken through the system. You don't have to go through a courtyard. You don't have to have a priest represent you. And I'm the high priest that goes into the most holy place. I'm going to tear the veil. As you know at Easter, when, when, when Jesus took his last breath, it says the veil was torn from the top to the bottom he went through the veil the ark of the covenant was open and now we are the temple we're the courtyard we're the holy place we are the most holy place we are the place the presence of God dwells you are a temple of the Holy Spirit that was good (laughs) you are the temple dang I actually know what I'm talking about this is awesome (laughs) so Jesus was sacrificed Everything that separated us was torn down, and now we're made worthy to enter in and become the dwelling place. But there's something I want to say before we go any further. The absence of religion does not mean the absence of responsibility. Because we love to shout at the fact that there's no more religion and we're covered by grace. But that does not mean God takes care of everything for you and you have no responsibility. What the absence of religion is, is he says, I am not going to hold myself back from you anymore and you don't have to meet up to a standard anymore to get my stuff. But because I've taken care of the standard to allow you to become, I need you to have the responsibility of stewarding the temple that you now are. I need you to steward your courtyard. I need you to steward your holy and most holy place. The Bible talks about, we talk about all the time, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's not God change me, it's you've got to change. You can't just wait for God to do it. You've got to walk into agreement. There's a reason why this whole thing starts with repentance and being washed by the word. The way you renew your mind is not saying God changed my mind. It's read the flipping scripture and start living by it because religion does not take away your responsibility. Told you I'd punch you in the gut a little bit. You still have a part to play. He sees what he made you to be and it's up to you to become. I hear people ask me all the time, why hadn't God done it yet? God's already done everything he needs to do. Jesus says it's finished. It's done. It's completed. God does not have to do anything more. He says, I've given you the authority to do it because now I see you as perfect because you don't have to meet standards anymore. My son took care of that for you. So because my son sacrificed himself and took care of your standards, I now view you as something 
and I don't have to do anything else. You just got to start walking into the truth of what I see you as. We talked about how in this place God dwells, the temple, inside of the Ark of the Covenant, we talked about how there were three different things. <coughs> the gold jar of manna, Aaron's rod that sprouted leaves, and there were stone tablets. And what that meant for our lives is recapping last week, that God will provide whatever you need to accomplish a task. That's the manna. Y'all know what manna means? It means, what is it? He will provide whatever you need. God has called you to lead and not be led. That's Aaron's staff. Can I just say that? Every one of you are called to lead. Parents, stop being led by your kids. <laughs> You're supposed to lead them. I don't care how much freedom they think they have. Until they out of your house at 18, you call the shots. Let them hate you. Same thing with you people saying amen at your workplace. When gossip starts, you don't give your mouth to it. You turn your back to it. And you walk away and you be the example. When they say, I've had a rough day, I need a drink, you don't say, amen, sister, buy me one. You walk away and say, I'm drinking of the blood of Christ. That's the only peace I need. Yeah, y'all don't want to hear that stuff. <laughs> and the third thing, the stone tablets, God expects you to honor his commands. The commands don't get you saved, but they do access things in the heavenlies that you're called to bring down to this earth. Because you are being a steward of what he already sees you as. There were two angels on top. And in Psalm 91, 10 through 11, we, we have this truth that angels are looking down. It says, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near you. He will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. Stop letting fear keep you back from, from stewarding yourself as a temple of God. Because it's scary to take a stand especially in your deepest friendships and even family. I think that's one of the biggest things that divides people in their faith. They don't want to offend their family. But Jesus says, if you love me, you'll leave your brother, you'll leave your sister, you'll leave your husband, you'll leave your wife, and you follow me. You'll leave your mother, your father. Now, that don't mean get divorced. That don't mean you separate yourself from the family. That means, above all else, follow him and honor him. Are we on the same page? He says, I have put my angels over to protect you. Follow my ways. So with all this, we've talked about how Jesus is our high priest and only the high priest can enter the most holy place because Jesus went in and represented us. And we come to this place in 1 Peter chapter 2 that gives us some pretty awesome revelation about who we are. Look at 1 Peter 2, verse 4. <clears throat> Josh. Thank you. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God has built into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. Someone shout priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices to please God. As the scriptures say, I'm placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. 
But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. He is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, so they meet fate that was planned for them. If you want more information about that, I encourage you to go online and listen to the series I preached last year called Honoring Stones. It's amazing. <laughs> Amen. Verse 9. But you are not like that. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests. You're a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's. Once you received no mercy, now you've received God's mercy. Hmm. The scriptures say twice in 2 Peter, you are the priests. And then he qualifies it a second time. Not only does he consider you the priests that go into the holy place, but you are royal priests. You're not just common. You're royalty. You have a part to play. You have a part to steward. You are not just the temple that contains the Holy Spirit, but you are the priests that represent what you're walking into. See, we talked about the past seven weeks about what you're walking into and what you're becoming. Now it's time to look at how we're supposed to look walking in. Because it's not enough just to get into his presence. There's some things that you've got to become and there's some things you've got to look like and there's some things that you've got to do. So as I prayed about this message, I thought the only appropriate thing to look at, since we've looked at the design, we've got to look at how the priests looked when they walked in. Because he says, I'm calling you the priests. Hebrews 5.4. No one can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honor. He must be called by God for this work just as Aaron was. Exodus 28.1. Call for your brother Aaron and his sons, 1, 2, 3, and 4. Set them apart from the rest of the people of Israel so they may minister me and be my priests. The first high priest of Israel was Aaron. The other priests were under him as sons, not because he desired it, but because God, God called him to be it. In fact, at this time and afterwards, it says that the high priest could only come from Aaron's descendants. Now, the Bible says that Jesus is our high priest. So by the law, Jesus had to somehow come from the descendants of Aaron. You want to know a little fact? Aaron married into the tribe of Judah. What do we call Jesus? He is the lion of, you know what his mother Mary was? Part of the tribe of Judah. There's a law. God don't exercise outside of it. Let me tell you something. If you think you came to Jesus because one day you woke up and said, I want to know that guy, you need to open your eyes to truth. You did not choose Jesus first. He chose you. He says priests cannot become priests by their own desire. They've got to be called out. God says, you are my priests. 
And you need to understand when you walk out of this place tonight and you go into your workplaces and you go into your homes and you go into your friends and you go on your social media and you go through your text and you go through the email, you've got to realize you have a calling on your life and it's not because you desired it. It's because God looked at you and said, you are worthy, my good and faithful servant. You are now my priest. I want you to represent people before your temple. Is this good? Okay. Make it sure. He says, I've called you as my priests. Priests had certain responsibilities. <clears throat> they offered sacrifices at the altar. They ministered to people. They taught people the law. They made sure that there was always fire at the altar and at the altar of incense. They... They had oversight over the temple. They blessed people. They mediated arguments. They, they covered the holy furnishings when the camp was going to move. We talked about many times how mobile church ain't a new thing. Mobile church started back in Exodus. This whole tabernacle was mobile because they traveled. They moved from place to place. They carried the Ark of the Covenant. And then the high priest had some little more specific functions. They spiritually led the people. They offered the sacrifices on the Day of Atonement. The high priests would also wear some specific things. And we're not only called priests, but we're called royal. So if the called out priest had specific things he had to wear before he got into the most holy place, and he calls us royal, and we are the holy place, then we've got to realize there's some truth to what those priests put on. That there are some things that you've got to put on if you want to call yourself a child of God. And if he has called you to be his priest before you even knew him, how many of you love Jesus? If you really love him, it's time to put on the wardrobe that he bought for you. Y'all want to talk about the wardrobe? Let's talk about the wardrobe. Exodus 28, 2. I'm having fun. This is, I feel good tonight. You shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for what? Glory and beauty. What's the title of tonight's message? Beautiful and glorious worship. He says, I have made holy garments for glory and beauty. On the day of atonement, but it was once a year when the high priest, would, the high priest would enter in. They would put on sackcloth and they fasted. And they waited for the high priest to appear in these garments. In other words, everyone else would humble themselves to ashes and sackcloth. And they would wait for this beautiful, I think there's a picture up there, for this beautiful priest to walk in in these garments. Maybe not yet. Beautiful. Maybe not in today's terms, but they were beautiful. It was expensive. It wasn't like, you know, you, you go to Walmart to buy a T-shirt. You went to the upper level. Buckle. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Appear in garments. I'm so stupid. Beauty and glory. Romans 8, 19 through 21. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, 
All creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. It says the earth is waiting for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. And so many people teach that that day is when Jesus comes back. But let me tell you what the scripture really means. You want to know why the earth is in chaos? You want to know why the, the, there's so much sin in this city? You want to know why there's so much darkness? Because the earth and the people in darkness, they don't even know what they're waiting for. They're searching for everything. They're, they're searching for freedom and choice. They're searching for freedom in this, freedom in that. They are eagerly waiting for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. But you know where we reveal the sons and daughters of God? In church on Saturday night or church on Sundays, and we don't see them anywhere else. Because we're not putting on what we're supposed to look like. God, the earth is waiting for sons and daughters to be revealed. It's not when Jesus comes back. Let me tell you, you are the sons and daughters of the living God, and the earth is waiting for you to show up. But the earth ain't going to bow to a fallen vessel. When Jesus spoke, waves stood still. He bought that authority for you. It recognized Jesus. Other people tried to speak, and they said, I know Jesus, but I don't know you. And the demons didn't bow to nothing. Why? Because they still look fleshly. They didn't have garments that said, I am of God. There are garments that you are to be putting on so that when people see you, they see beauty and glory, not filth and sin. They don't want to see garments that look like judgment. They don't want to see garments that look accusatory. Gar beautiful garments don't look hateful. They don't look bitter. They don't look unforgiving. They don't look mean. They don't look angry. They don't look jealous. They don't look prideful. They look a certain way. Beautiful and glorious. Exodus 28.3. Instruct all the skilled craftsmen who I have filled with the spirit of wisdom. I, I, I wish I could say something right there. Can I say something right there? They were filled with the Holy Spirit, but there is no mention of tongues in the scripture. You don't have to have one specific gift as evidence that you're filled. They were filled with the Holy Spirit of wisdom. You know why you don't have to have one specific gift as evidence to be filled with the Spirit? Because you are the thing that contains it. And the gift comes at the time you need it to. Because he's called you out. It's not by your desire. Y'all okay? Y'all right? Keep that scripture back up. What you doing? You're fired. <laughs> Have them make garments for Aaron that will distinguish him as a priest set apart for my service. The garments that you put on 
should distinguish you from all the rest. And if we are the priestly nation now, we need to start looking different wherever we go. And throughout the rest of the passage, I encourage you to read it on your own time. I don't have, to read, I don't have time to read the entire passage tonight. But it starts talking about the garments. Real quick, there was five colors used. <clears throat> We've talked about them before. Gold, blue, red, purple, and white. All the garments that you should look like were made with specific colors. Gold, it was a symbol of purity. That you're holy. Almighty God, righteousness. There was the color of blue having come from heaven. When people look at you, they need to see a heavenly vessel. They don't need to see a fallen earthly one. They were made with red, symbolizing the blood, that all the requirements for you to be so priestly have been set forth and met by Jesus. There was purple. You are what kind of priest? Royal. It's the color of royalty. And then there was white, righteousness and purity. Specifically, it, it meant the right to stand before our holy God. In other words, he says, I view you as righteousness because I have taken care of this. You have the right to stand before me as a priest of the earth okay the garments of the priests reveal that Jesus as God as the great high priest so when you have this entire temple when the priest would enter into the most holy place he would have specific garments on why did he have specific garments on because the father who allowed the Holy Spirit to dwell in the ark they no longer saw Aaron given sacrifice. Because he put on garments, it was as if Jesus himself was offering the sacrifice. Because the garments was a representative of a heavenly priest. That's why he had to wash up. That's why he had to put on certain clothes. That's why he could only go in once a year. Because it was no longer I see Aaron, it's I see myself. Because you put on new garments. You put on a new thing. You look different. In the same way when the father looked at Jesus, he no longer... Why did the father look away when Jesus was on the cross? Because he no longer saw his son, he saw sin. And Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he turns around and calls him Father. Isn't it interesting when he says, why you have forsaken me, he uses the cold term of God, but when he realizes truth, he refers to him as Daddy. <laughs> you ever thought about that? Jesus says, I'm taking, I'm taking the whole thing. I'm representing you because I'm buying some clothes for you to put on so that God can see you as priestly, as kingly, a priestly nation, a royal priesthood. Galatians 3.27, get an amen from the babies. All who have been united with Christ in baptism have what? Put on Christ. Like what? Putting on new clothes. It's not enough to say, I'm saved because I've confessed. You confess, you come up under his covering, and then you put on Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. 
Christ means anointed one. You put on the anointed one type of garments. You get a new name when you become up under Jesus. It's no longer Kyle Garrison. It's Kyle with a Christly, Kyle Christ, Kyle anointed. You are anointed. And we shouldn't go, oh my gosh, did he just say Kyle Christ? Oh my gosh, that's, that's like blasphemy in the church. That's horrible. He just took Jesus' last name. I don't know what that voice is, but it's weird. We take on something new. So if you take on a new identity as an anointed son or daughter of God, that means you put it on like you put on clothes. And in Exodus 28.4, it says, these are the garments that they're to make for you. A chest piece, an ephod, a robe, a patterned tunic, a turban, and a sash. They are to make these sacred garments for your brother Aaron and his sons to wear when they serve me as priests. When are we supposed to wear the garments? When you serve him as a what? As a priest. So if we're going to, how many of you want to walk in your priestly anointing? How many of you want to walk in your priestly anointing? Well, then we got to look at the garments we got to put on. Number one, the ephod. Number one, the ephod. This was arguably one of the most important garments. I'm going to start off with it. The ephod looked like an apron. Imagine an apron you put on, but backwards, like a Batman cape. I don't know why. Just go with it. <laughs> an apron backwards covering the back from the elbows to the heels. <clears throat> and it had two shoulder straps on it. At the end of these shoulder straps, there were two stones. Each stone had six names engraved on each of them. So you got shoulder straps, you got the ends of the shoulder straps, and you got a stone on each one with six names engraved on each stone. It was a representative of the 12 tribes of Israel. It was representing the sons of Israel. And these stones that had the name of all these people on them, it was being carried on the shoulders of the priests. Jesus says, I have become your high priest, and I am carrying the names of my people on my shoulders. Isaiah 9-6, usually used for Christmas. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government be upon his what? Shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So if Jesus is the priest that we should look like, the priest put on Christ, the priest example that we should put on, he says, I'm carrying the government on my shoulders. A priest on his shoulders carried the names of people. So if a priest carried the names of people and Jesus carries the government, what do you think the government is? Say it loud. Someone said it. People. 
I'm carrying the government on my shoulders. The government on the shoulders of Christ are the names of the sons and daughters of God engraved in him. Jesus says, I'm the priest, I've got the ephod, and on the ephod is the names of all my children, and I'm calling it the government. And the government, the names are not just written on the stone, they're engraved. You can't rub off an engraving. You don't get to erase an engraved thing. Once they're engraved, they're in it. Romans 8, 37. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. I'm convinced nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Not death, nor life, not angels, nor demons, not fears for today, not worries about tomorrow, not the powers of hell, no power in the sky, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from him. Why? Because you are engraved as the government on his shoulders. Y'all ain't never heard this, have you? Me either. Well, Kyle, does, does that mean, what does that mean that I have, if I'm supposed to be wearing this ephod, what does that mean for me? It means it's time for you to operate as the government of heaven. Because what you're putting on as a priest is government. You are not walking as a priest if you are someone who was tossed and turned as the wind blows. Jesus even looked at Simon Peter and said, Simon, you mean reed that goes back and forth, but I'm calling you Peter because you are a rock and you're steady. He does, priests do not look like people who make a different decision every day about what God told them. That is one of the biggest pet peeves of mine. If God said it, trust me, your purpose don't change every other day. Can I just be real? Just because it comes to your mind does not mean God told you. Because you're still being transformed by the renewing of it. Not everything that comes into your thought, not everything that comes into your dream life means it's from God. God is steady, God is solid, God does not change, and he is steadfast. If you do not tell me that God told you when what God said changes all the time. Government does not mean that your friends move you. Government does not mean that your family moves you. Government does not mean that you are influenced by your surroundings. Government means when you walk into a room, everything changes because you are a priest who is representing God the Father and upon your shoulders you're carrying government. I, we're really quick to say amen about how we're government, but as soon as worry creeps in, we go to all these different things. Well, I need my time. I need to get to myself. I'm really stressed. I, I have people text me that today. I can't get to church because I've got some things going on. When did the anointing of God break in the upper room? When all the people came together. And you think the best way to get God's blessing on you is to alienate yourself? That ain't government. That's letting your situations call the shots. Put on your ephod. You are the government of Christ on the earth. Is this okay? 
The trick is when you continually wash yourself in the word, the way you govern is no longer based off your emotions or your wants or your desires. Your desires start to take a different shape. Your desires start to change. And they start to look Christly. Put on government. Number two, there's the chess piece or the breastplate. Play real quietly. Chess piece, breastplate. Just check it. The chest piece was worn over the ephod on the front. It was a pouch. And inside the pouch, there was placed two gemstones. The Urim and the Thummim, if that's how you pronounce them. I don't know. U-R-I-M-T-H-U-M-M-I-M. The Urim meant light. The thummim, thummim, whatever it is, it meant perfection. The priests would take these two stones that were in their pouch and they you would use the stones to help make the decisions among the people. And on the front of this pouch, there are four rows of three stones, again, the 12 tribes of Israel, the people of God, and the pouch was positioned in such a way that all the stones were unified in one place right in front of the heart of the priests. All of the people were placed close to the heart of the priest, presented before the presence of God, and they started making decisions and determinations for God's people. All of the decisions that they ever had to make were made close to the heart. Proverbs 4.23, throw it up there. Guard your heart above all else. Why? It determines the course of your life. Proverbs 3.5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Josh, throw it up there. Please stop talking. Yeah, I'm going to bust you out in the next verse. Proverbs 3.5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Remember, guard your heart. It determines the course of your life. Trust with your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Matthew 6, 21. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be. You are his treasure and God says he wants you close to his heart because the heart determines the course your life takes. And you are to trust him with your heart. But be mindful that the indication of where your heart is is where your treasure lies. He says, the way I want my priest to put on their garments is that you make all the decisions close to my heart because the heart determines the course of your life but here's the thing wherever your treasure is indicates where your heart is positioned God says 
You claim to be close to me. But your treasure is in all the things of the world. You can afford to buy Netflix. You can afford to have Amazon Prime. You can afford to buy a house. You can afford to pay for your car. But how dare you put 10% of your stuff in a tithing plate? I love God. Can I just be real with you? No, you don't. Because where your treasure is, is where your, there's no way around it. Well, Kyle, that's just a bold statement. You shouldn't say that in church. I care more about your spiritual position than you being happy with me. But treasure is not just your money. I put out an email and a Facebook all week saying, let's invite our neighbors to Easter service. I had two people show up. You know, part of your treasure is where you put your time in. I know some of you have valid excuses. I'm not beating everyone over the head. I'm not, I'm not doing that. It's just a good example for the time. Your treasure is where you dedicate your time. How come we can give our time to everything else but God gets the leftovers? Priestly people are people who make decisions out of a place close to God's heart. So if you should make all your decisions putting on the garment of decision making how do you make the best decisions get close to his heart and the way you get close to his heart is not saying I read my Bible and I prayed it's where do you put your treasure where's your time where's your talents where's your serving where's your finances don't tell me you are in love with him if he does not get the bulk of that. I know it's 7.30, but can I just keep going? I, I'm going to speak something about tithing right now because it's a big part of treasure. People say, Kyle, you talk too much about money. The Bible talks about money more than it talks about Jesus. Read it. You'll see. Listen, listen to this. Have you, have you ever wondered why you tithe on and over and you don't see blessing breakthrough? Can, can we be real? Well, Kyle, I've been tithing for five years and I ain't never seen nothing. You want to know why? If you want to know why, I say, tell me. The Bible does not say that tithing guarantees blessing. The scriptures, God says, test me in tithes and offerings and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you. The Bible says when you tithe, you rebuke the seed eater of your ground. So let's say you've got an offering. Maybe it's your time serving as a volunteer at Relentless. Maybe you make $1,000, you should be tithing 100, but you just give 50. 50 is not your tithe. That is your offering. 
We take our time, we take our talents, we take everything and we have the offering. And what happens with the offering? We sow it into the ground. But when you sow it into the ground, because you have not tithed, there is a seed eater that can get your offering that you have not rebuked. When you tithe, when you put your offering in the ground, there is no seed eater that can eat it. So when you put your offering of time, when you put that extra $10 in the plate, when you put in your offering of your serving, it goes into the ground so it can produce fruit. And fruit is what your blessing is. Am I talking to anybody? I didn't even plan on talking about this tonight. It rebukes. The thing about Jesus is he never gives you something to do just because it's law. He says, I'm giving you these principles to open up the windows, but you're the priest, so you've got to put on the garment and let me be close to your heart so every decision you make will flow out of being in a posture of where your treasure is. Does this make sense? You put on an ephod, you, you put on this breastplate, this chest piece. And after you put on the ephod and the, the chest piece, you put on this robe. This robe was a, I'm, I'm, I'm getting close, I'm getting close. The robe was a, a single piece of cloth that was sky blue. It hung down front and back to the feet. And the opening was round and the hem was doubled over, over and it was closed. You know why the hem was doubled over? So it wouldn't tear. Because it was customary back in the day in Israel. Remember how I told you that they would put sackcloth on waiting for the priest to enter? It was customary that people would tear off the robes. But this garment that this priest was putting on, it was holy, it was sacred, and it was never to be torn. Because what they would do, they would be so overcome with expectation of the priest is about to go before and make me clean again. They were excited. They were emotional about it. They were so emotional that they would tear off what they had because they were like, I'm not worthy. When you put on your robe as a priest, your personal emotions do not overrule your call to wear the garment of ministry in your life. Kyle, you don't know the week I've had. I need a break. Can I just be honest with you? You don't deserve a break. He died for us so that we could live. How much of your life is actually presented to him as a robe of ministry over your life to where you say, God, here I am. But you let ministry overrule that. I mean, emotions overrule that. I've had a bad week. My wife and I are fighting. My husband and I are fighting. You just don't understand, Kyle. You ain't married. I rebuke you. There's just, there's just, there's so many things with emotions that go through our life. I've had a bad, I've had a bad week at work, Kyle. You don't understand. I, I, I need some rest. You do not let emotions call the shots anymore. You don't get to tear off your robe of calling as a priest when you want to. You walk in it at all times. And to me, that gives me a great responsibility 
because there's so many of us that will walk out of this room and as soon as tonight, something will happen and you'll start cussing, you'll start drinking, you'll start doing all this stuff because you were mad about what happened. You know what just happened? You tore off a robe that was never meant to be torn off. Y'all hold me to that standard. Well, Kyle, you shouldn't react to me like that because you're the pastor. It's a ministry role I play. I should never tear my robe off and, and come at you like that. But no one should. Because we're no longer tossed and turned. We're no longer people that just walk in. Can I, can I be honest with you? Freedom has become abused. You should love freedom in Christ. Not the freedom for you to choose what to believe and what to do. I want to walk as a slave to my king. What does that mean? God, whatever you say, I'll do it. I'll go there. I will listen to whatever you want. Have your way with me. I'm going to put on my robe, and I don't care how bad my day is. I don't care how messed up that thing was said to me, I don't care how bad I'm hurting, I'm not tearing off this robe. You know what the Hebrew word for the word blue was of this robe? It meant complete. When you put on your priestly garment of a robe, you are putting on the garment of a finished work. You do not operate anymore based off of your circumstances or you're, and you're no longer held back because of mistakes. You now walk as a finished work of the grace of God. Start walking in it. You have the right to put that on. And then there was a plate, the, the next one, Josh, that they had this plate or medallion that they put on the head, and it was engraved with the words, Holy to the Lord. What they would do is they would put this headband on, this plate over their forehead, because they would take on the guilt of the people, and as long as they wore it, the, the Lord would accept the people. Jesus says, I took on the guilt and shame so that God would accept you. So what does that mean? You're glorious and beautiful when you enter into worship and when you enter in, you say, here's what I've gone through. Here's my repentance. You keep at the forefront of your head that you are not worthy and you're praising God because he made you worthy. And then there was a tunic, a turban, and a sash. The tunic and the turban were made of fine linen. Matter of fact, the tunic had these long sleeves. There were only certain kinds of people who wore long sleeves back in the day in ancient Israel. They were the people that were not to perform manual labor. Ezekiel even talks about making sure that the ones who are the priests don't even let them sweat. What was the curse in Genesis? God says, the ground is cursed. You got to struggle to make a living. You will gain good to eat by the sweat of your brow. And here, the beautiful and garment worn says the work is done and you no longer have to sweat. In other words, you no longer have to work for your salvation, so stop trying to earn favor. 
Stop trying to earn right standing. You've already got favor. You've already got right standing. But you have got to put that on and realize I no longer have to earn this. It's granted to me as a garment. I am favored. I am righteous. I am pure. I am holy. Wasn't that kind of prideful, Kyle? No, he bought that garment for you to put on. Stop walking around life as if you still have to prove yourself. Because let me tell you, you will never be able to do it. We cannot prove ourselves as worthy. So Jesus buys a garment for you as a priest and says, put on your right standing and start representing me before the people. And when you start representing me and not your shortcomings, your worship, the lifestyle of who you are will be beautiful and glorious. The, the turban was also made of linen. Jesus says, put on, the mind of, put on the mind of Christ. Let his thoughts become your thoughts. Your mind is now worthy to take on the likeness of God. You know what that means? When a thought comes, you have absolute authority to say, get the heck out of here. Satan and demons can't touch you or hurt you. Kyle, I think there's a demon in my house. Can you come pray for it? I'm scared. They can't do nothing. Stop watching Hollywood. You know why they can't do nothing? Because the law of how the earth was created says a spirit cannot do anything unless a vessel gives it authority. You, can I get real deep with you? It's the same way with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, in order to dwell with my people, I can't show up. I've got to make you a temple so that I can work through you. It's all the same process. I know it's past time, but I'm going with it. Demons cannot do anything unless you give them permission. So he says, put on your turban and start putting on the mind of Christ. You don't want a demon to have your home. You don't want Satan to have influence. Every thought that comes in, you put it at the feet of Jesus and you make the decision. They don't have any authority. The only thing that has authority, he says, there is government on my shoulders and you are the names of the government. The only way a demon gets authority over a house, the only way a demon gets authority over your pocketbook, the only way a demon can manifest is if you give it permission. There's no other way. That's why I don't get scared of walking around. I, I used to be someone that got scared to walk around by myself in the dark. The more my, I understand my authority, I could walk downtown in the most haunted place ever and let me tell you, they ain't going to manifest in front of me because I don't let them rule. I rule in the name of Jesus with my priestly garments in the room. Let me make it even more, can I make it even more real? Well, I've got an addiction problem. I've got an alcohol problem. I've got a gossip problem. I've got a bitterness problem. I've got unforgiveness. I've got this. I've got that. Put on the mind of Christ and stop letting those things tell you how to live. You are in authority. How is God is in control? When the government starts acting on his behalf. 
and it was all tied together with a sash unifying all the garments what does that mean you can't pick and choose which ones you want to put on when you get up in the morning you put on the whole thing you put on the government you put on the, the righteousness you put on the ministry you put it all on you put on the mind you put on the repentance you put it all on Closing out in Exodus 28, verse 41, it says, Close your brother Aaron and his sons with these garments. Anoint and ordain them. Consecrate them so they can serve as my priests. Make linen undergarments for them to be worn next to their bodies, reaching from their hips to their thighs. They must be worn wherever Aaron and his sons enter the tabernacle or approach the altar in the holy place to perform their priestly duties. They will not incur guilt and die. It's a permanent law for Aaron and all his descendants under him. Permanent law for the undergarments. What are the undergarments? Satan seeks to display your shame and make you vulnerable. God says, you are no longer going to walk in vulnerability. Don't walk in shame. You're going to gird yourself. You're going to put it in your garments. And I don't care what the enemy says because you have, from head to toe, your garments of glory and beauty. Nothing's going to tell you what you should be embarrassed about. Nothing's going to tell you why you shouldn't be serving. Nothing's going to tell you why you can't do this. The only thing that's going to make your decisions is the fact that God bought you garments so that when he sees you, all he sees is worthy, as holy, as blessed as beautiful and as glorious. First Peter 2, 5, you are living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. You are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. This spiritual temple that God is building is a connecting together of all of us. We are all temples of the Holy Spirit who make one temple. And even though the Holy Spirit dwells in all of us, we're still incomplete if we're not connected together. And we've all got to start looking like priests for there to be one unified tabernacle. There is a unity that comes when we embrace the garments of glory and beauty over our lives. You want to know why? I don't want to build a church with a bunch of pastor cows. I think God has given me a, a tremendous gift of teaching. I embrace it. But that does not mean we need to build a church with a hundred teachers. Because there is something in each and every one of you that you can do that I can't. And I say that with humility and I say it with boldness. Why have I been so tough in this message tonight? I want to, I, when I enter the pearly gates of heaven, I don't care about who's going to greet me. I don't care about who I'm going to see. I just want to make sure that when I look at my father, when I look at Jesus, he looks at me and says, well done. 
And for me, and my call as a pastor of this church, I know what the well done is. The well done is not we had 5,000 members. The well done is the members you had walked into their purpose, walked into their calling, and became bold people who stopped being timid, who stopped bowing down, and started walking into the beautiful and glorious priests they are. Let me tell you, church, you're beautiful and you're glorious and you shouldn't let anything else tell you anything different ever again. Because as of tonight, we're going to walk out of here and we're going to put on the garments that you are called to put on because you are beautiful and glorious priests. You are the temple of God. And that is how we become a worshiping church. Can someone say amen? Stand to your feet. Give God some praise if this message spoke to you.